He did indeed get in to the end zone at the uh, Cotton Bowl. We thought he'd get in Monday from uh, Oakland, but uh, that's a tough, tough commute on the yeah, uh, red eye from Oakland. And then a commute from Cincinnati. Uh, yeah. What's his Fox uh, running out of money? You're flying out of Cincinnati? No, that's, what's the deal? that's my choice. I, I don't like okay. to connect because there's too many things that can go wrong, yeah. and, and I, I just don't want to get stuck. And so anytime I can get a direct flight um, to the West Coast, especially to the West Coast, I either fly out of if Columbus doesn't have a direct, I'll usually go out of Cincinnati or Cleveland. So it's, it's not bad. That, I mean, it's like an hour and forty-five minute drive. Cleveland's easier because you know its proximity to Columbus is much better yeah. than Cincinnati, where you got to go all the way through Cincinnati. Yeah, but in Northern Kentucky, when you're when you're when you have a seven a.m. and you're leaving your house at three thirty, it's oh. not that bad. <laughs> the commute's not that bad. Three thirty wake up call. Yeah. Remember that one well. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that one well. You don't have to do that now since you're an entrepreneur. Podcast no. entrepreneur. Podcast entrepreneur. Pushing everything you can push. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, that, that's a, that's an interesting uh, little lesson there, though. You know, I'd welcome the opportunity to do that again at anywhere because, you know, when you're in the middle of something and you think, you tend to see all the stuff that's inconvenient. Right. And then when you get a chance to do it, if you get a chance to do it the second time, you're like, oh, I can handle this. It's interesting. I was at Premier at Sawmill yesterday working out. Mm -hmm. And I'm leaving and I look over in the GM's office and I see a former colleague of ours at iHeart. A guy who was a, a sales uh, guy okay. at iHeart, yeah. Jim. And Jim used to be the GM at Premier at Sawmill. Mm -hmm. And then he went to iHeart. So I'm like walking out yesterday. And I'm like, he's back as the GM. So I went in and had a conversation with him. And he said that very thing. He said, you know, when I was here before, everything that I could focus on that was not right or whatever, I did. And it bothered me. He goes, now I'm back and, and I'm grateful to be back. And I know how to handle it. And the whole Premier Kinsale Scioto Reserve operation is a great operation. And so, you know, uh, be grateful for what you have. Be grateful for the job well, you have. Be grateful for all your opportunities in life. See the good, not the bad. Just uh, along those lines, uh, every <laughs> ex-player or coach that I talk to, right, mm -hmm. say, you know, if I haven't seen in a while or I first meet, and they go, hey, how you doing? Just kind of there's that bond between – NFL guys that sure. participate as coaches or players, right? Sure. Because you each know what each one goes through and how hard it is to win, how hard it is mm -hmm. to lose. And I say, I'm doing great. And they go, well, how's uh, how's doing the TV? You know, I said, it's, it's awesome. And I get tired of traveling and all that stuff, but it's awesome in this sense that I get to do something that I love to do. Mm -hmm. I get to sit on a 50-yard line of an NFL stadium every week, and I get to talk about football. I get paid to do that. And I don't have the stress of winning and losing with me. And, you know, that took a long time for me to get used to of not having that stress of winning and losing because that becomes a part of you. Sure. And who you are. And well, that's you're driven. That, yeah, driven, and focused that's, on that goal. And that's a competitive nature. Uh, I mean, there's some competition in my business that I, that I enjoy. I mean, you know, there's only, what, six standard teams, six or seven standard teams for mm -hmm. NFL on Fox. And, you know, it's a hard job to get. And it was uh, it was had a great experience going out to San Francisco, Oakland area, the Bay Area. I get in my seat, and sitting next to me is Frosty Rucker, oh, um, former thirteen-year veteran in the NFL, and mm -hmm. what a great guy he is. And he's uh, probably done with his career; he's not signed with anybody this year. And he's kind of just trying to explore what he wants to do. And 
Frosty is such a, uh, I don't know if you know him or know anything not. about him. but do not. I know he played at USC and he played yeah. for the Bengals. He's a great personality, right? Just a nice guy and very well respected, uh, uh, a leader. And just talking to him, it was interesting. Uh, we were talking about Mike Zimmer and his time with the Bengals and, and all that stuff. And just talking to him, you know, he how he talks, he's like a team guy. Everything was about the team. And I'm just like gathering all this information so i'm making kind of right away I, when i see the players i say well this guy would be just a great coach so then i asked him do you want to get into coaching frosty what are you thinking about that and he's just so concerned about being consumed again because he's outside of football for the first time in 13 years in realizing that hey this isn't bad now you know what, what happens, Bruce, and we're seeing this up in Cleveland. We'll hit on that a little bit later, but we're seeing this up in Cleveland, right? And I just got off the phone with my brother, and they lost. And so every city that – we've talked about this. Every city that you go to when you lose, it is like the end of the world. Yes, it is. Like everything is crashing down. And you as a player, you think that the whole world is looking at you thinking you're not good enough to do the job or you guys can't win on the road or whatever it may be. Sure. But, it's, it's, but I said outside of the city of Cleveland – Outside of Cincinnati, nobody cares. They're all concerned about their own sure. team. They're either celebrating their team or they're or they're crapping on their team. That's just the way of the world. So he is actually going to end up coaching in that NFL PA Bowl for a week with uh, Marvin Lewis. So Great. Marvin asked him. So it just, it was just cool to meet a guy and and to see somebody that's transitioning from something you define yourself your whole life as a football player, and all of a sudden that is coming to a rapid end and the transition that he's going to make. So hopefully he'll do well. Uh, speaking of a place where they are celebrating their team, uh, we are in one. Central Ohio, the Ohio State Buckeyes debut as number one in the college football playoff rankings. They're ahead of LSU. Uh, Joe Burrow leading the Tigers to the number two spot. Alabama is three. Penn State is four. Clemson is five. I was a little surprised, no, more than a little surprised, that Ohio State was one because I thought LSU would get the bump out of playing Texas and beating Texas, Auburn, right. and Florida. However, uh, watching the show on ESPN, I did not know Ohio State's schedule is rated higher than LSU's, which I'm scratching my head as to how that could be possible since Ohio State didn't play a Power 5 opponent. But, I mean, if you're true to schedule and Ohio State's schedule is tougher than LSU's, then I get it. And you certainly can't argue with what you see on the field. Well, I, I think that's the kicker. Yeah. Right? I think you can make an argument by schedule or, 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 you know, teams or whatever measurements they use. But what makes them the number one team? Now, I will say this. I don't think they're the clear-cut number one team. I wouldn't have a problem if they're one through five anyway, to be honest with you. But I think from the, the voters' standpoint and from what they're seeing, the separation is the talent level and the level at which you're playing and the level of domination that they're dominating – these teams that they're playing. And like Clemson at number five, if I'm Dabo Sweeney, that doesn't bother me. I think he's the happiest coach in the rankings. Yeah, because that, that's trying something to get you can his, use, right? He's yeah. trying to get his team's attention, and he's like, we're the defending champs. We've won, I don't know what, 20 in a row, yeah. something like that. And look what they think of us. So, yeah, and that's something he can use. But conversely, I'm not concerned about Ohio State with that number one title because – not only do I think that this is a chance for this team to be the best overall team 
all combinations, all positions combined. I'm saying that as a whole, because, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I go back to Orlando Pace's days. I mean, I don't know if there was a better offensive line than that offensive line, as, as, but as a whole, as a whole team, I still am going to stick by my statement that this can be and go down as the best team in the history of Ohio State football as, as talent-wise and as a group and as a unit. But also, I think this is the most – I don't know if this makes sense to you, but it does to me just from what I've been watching and how they're playing, and mm-hmm. I, I can make a judgment based on the field. But this is the most mature Ohio State football team that I've seen, how they carry themselves, how they play, and they seem to be really, really focused on a mission. And, and just, just how they play, though, Bruce, that the, the level of concentration – and focus and energy that this team plays with is admirable. And I think most college coaches look at this team and really do say, that's a team of robots. <laughs> happy, that, happy, no, content but, robots. Yeah, that's what they are. Yeah. They are, uh, and it's fun to watch. And I want to encourage all the coaches over there, I want to encourage all the players that take a second and realize What's at stake for you? Not only a national championship, mm-hmm. which is the most important thing, but you are on the cusp and in control of doing something very, very special and being part of something that is very special and unique and only comes around once every 10 or 15 years at Ohio State. Sometimes at other places it never comes, but this is something special that's happening right now, in my opinion. Now, that could all be gone because we're dealing with 18- and 22-year-old kids, I just don't see the warning signs. Last year, there were red flags everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. This year, I haven't seen a red flag. Maybe you have. No, I haven't. Not at all. And you're right. Last year, I mean, you know, 36-31 Nebraska. And we I remember talking about this on The Zone. Like, Nebraska, if they make a few more plays, they might have won that game yeah. in the horseshoe. Then, obviously, it all came crashing down at Purdue and then the Maryland game and all that. So, yeah, the warning signs were all over the place. Now, this year, you've got an offense that's top five in scoring. you get got a defense that's number one in scoring defense and is giving up about half the yards per game that it gave up a year ago. There's not a way they can't beat you offensively. No. They can throw it. They can run it. Uh, they can beat you on special teams. They can beat you with Drew Chrisman punting you inside the five-yard line. They what? can beat you with a 55-yard yeah. field goal. They can beat you defensively, taking the ball away. They can beat you sacking your quarterback. And I think they can beat you X's and O's wise with Ryan Day calling the plays and with Jeff Halfley, Greg Madison calling them on defense. There's not a, There has not been a weakness on display. Let's put it that way. No. Um, and we've said for weeks and weeks, maybe months, that they will not be tested until the playoff. And the only, okay, so here's the one unknown. Well, Michigan's getting better, by the way. And so there's, I mean, there is the magic of the Ohio State-Michigan. I'm not saying they're going to beat them. I'm saying that I am more concerned about Michigan than I was before I straightened that whole program out a couple weeks. Are you more concerned about Michigan Wait, the first of all, are you agreeing with oh, me I'm that, totally agreeing that with I you. straightened you're, that program, you're that I saved yeah. Michigan football? You did. Even though <laughs> I, I think maybe they didn't play your pep talk until halftime of the Penn State game. Because they did lose at Penn State after your pep talk. Yeah. So thank you. Once yeah. again, I, yeah. I make great contributions to the state of Michigan. Stink, I'm just kidding, everybody. Let me have fun. In that first half at Penn State, and Harbaugh went in the locker room, and he's like, okay, I'm out of options. Play the Spielman pep talk. And then the second <laughs> half, they came out, and they were... Pretty good, and they've been 
okay since then. Although, no. listen, I listened to their Maryland game because Ohio State wasn't playing last week, and they're putzing around, you know, punting the ball after they take a 14 nothing league. They're not a dominant team. And well, I they're don't not believe dominant. I don't believe they're going to be able to run the ball on Ohio State. Although, I will say this, the one thing that I'll put as a teensy-weensy qualifier, their offensive line coach is the guy who orchestrated the greatest single-season turnaround of any positional unit I've ever seen yeah. in 30 years of covering and, college football, and that's Ed Warner and what he did with the Ohio State offensive line from Game 2 in 2014 to Virginia the 2014 Tech. playoff. Yes, we're 6-6 six and six Virginia Tech was in JT Barrett's face all night, and by the end of the year, Alabama couldn't block Ohio State. That's Ed Warner, and he's no, Michigan's I, offensive line I mean, line Alabama couldn't get through Ohio State. Couldn't so, get through, yeah. yeah. Couldn't, yeah. I, didn't, I mean, they couldn't deal with Ohio yeah. State's blocking. Well, it, I'm seeing that up at Michigan. Now, I'm, I've been watching them. I watched them in Ohio State, and if I'm forced to watch another college game, who's ever on? I'll watch for my buddies because besides Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson. Well, you'll watch LSU and Bama this yeah, week. That, I, I will, yeah, yeah. That, that I'll watch because it's good football. Yeah. The other football that I see is just mediocre. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm just being honest. It's turning it's, – well, it's Compared like, to Ohio State, everybody looks no, mediocre. No, I mean, but that's that's the truth, right? Yeah, it is. And it's almost like football in, – in college football, we have probably, in all fairness, I would say – 20 really good teams, five exceptional teams, and everybody else, eh. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I think right now, how many teams would I need to put in a pot to say the national champion will come five from this group? Uh, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson. Mm. LSU? I guess LSU. I guess you're not you're not sold on LSU. I'm not 100 percent sold okay. on LSU. I'm well, you got sold, a quarterback playing out of his mind and really good their, athletes. Not sold on their coach. Go Tigers. So I would say you know, like the old name that tune song. I can name that tune in four notes and three notes, and the better the fewer notes, the better you are. I can name that national champion in three teams. I wouldn't put LSU. I'm talking about the overall state of college football. They're probably. I'll even be generous. There's five teams that can win a national championship. Probably 20 good teams. In so who's your fifth team? LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, uh, Clemson, and who? Um, I think Penn State. And we'll see. I think Penn State's getting better and better. They got a really good defense. What's the the quarterback's name? Gifford Sean or Clifford? Clifford, mm -hmm. Ohio. Uh, I watched him. Where's he from? Uh, Saint X, I believe. Oh, is he? And I, well, I watched. I, I think they're getting better, but the state of college football to me is almost like um, college women's basketball, where there's like 20 good teams, probably the elite eight, yeah. and after that, that's a diff There's a delineation yeah. between the elite eight and the sweet. Wouldn't state. you say that? About, I, I'd say that about college football. Yes. Right now. Yes. And, yes. and I don't know. I, I get it. It's it's a great game. It's filled with tradition and passion. Uh, I think the games are way too long. And maybe I'm being skewed because uh, I'm spoiled by the NFL. Uh, I see how I never thought of this until I started covering the NFL closely and watching tons of film. I, 
The difference in talent between college football and NFL teams is not even in the same planet. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable how good NFL players are. That's why the Miami Dolphins can beat the San Francisco 49ers if they would happen right. to meet on the right day. You just so because the you, talent you could is actually such say, that it can happen. You could actually say like the Jets right now would be considered. The Bengals or the Jets. I was going to say I, I impugn the Dolphins. Okay, I should have just thrown the Bengals. And out. we're going to say Ohio State is the best college team right now, at least by the playoff rankings. Right? rankings yeah. What do you think the line would be if the Bengals played uh, Ohio State? What it would be or what yeah. it should be? Would it, would it, what well, do you the, think it the would, Vegas it guys would, know their stuff. Uh, I would. Well, let's let's phrase it this way: How many points would I need to bet Ohio State against the Bengals? Yeah, I would need. And the Bengals are going to play the whole way. They're not going to like pull guys no, out when yeah, it's, it's when just it's all like done. We, we just put a an yeah. NFL uniform on Ohio yeah. State, and this is the, who the Bengals play this week. I'm going to take the Cincinnati Bengals by thirty-one. A touchdown, a quarter. Yeah, I'd take 40. Would you? I, th- I, w- I would say, like, if I had a Cincinnati minus 40, I'd take, take, Cincinnati. I'd take Cincinnati. I think that there's that big of a difference in the talent level. Is there that big of a, t- a difference in what they're doing schematically, the complexity of it? Because oh. you have pro football players and you have them all day. You don't have to worry about class and all that. Is there a difference there? There's a change, and this is where – I disagree with some very good minds in NFL or people, observers of the NFL. You can run uh, elements of the spread, which we're seeing effectively in the NFL, and you can have a running quarterback. You just got to listen to me, though, first. I'm I'm listening. Relax on Lamar Jackson. I'm going to get to my point. Relax on Lamar. I'm smiling and Spiel's knows I'm going to like. Yeah, I don't no, believe in Lamar Jackson. But you're Jackson. not. You got to hear my. No, whole I want to hear you. I wanna you hear can you. you can have a running quarterback if the quarterback is a runner, like Deshaun Watson, like Russell Wilson, like a guy that I'm going to see for the third time that I'm very excited about watching because he keeps getting better. Is Kyler Murray? And here's why. Now, see if you agree with this three points. And this is the argument okay. that I'll make. I made on the radio show the other day, and they they think I'm insane. A running quarterback can succeed in this league for these three reasons. First of all, a running quarterback can control how he gets hit. Yes. Because if he slides or goes down, he's going to – the rules protect him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The rules protect him um, as far as uh, uh, when he runs the football, that players are going to avoid him. And also the de- defensive mentality – has changed. And so these guys know how to protect themselves, and quarterbacks can control the kind of hits that they take. So Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, and whoever else, uh, even Aaron Rodgers or, or Matthew Stafford, who ran a little bit, they run a little mm-hmm. bit of the spread elements. They could, and you'll see Aaron Rodgers protect himself when he scrambles. Guys just uh, d- d- uh, d- uh, get away from him when he, when he goes to slide. Now, Lamar Jackson. I don't think Lamar Jackson is going to survive because Lamar Jackson runs like a running back. I think this. I think Lamar Jackson is definitely a starting quarterback in this league. I know you don't. I do. Uh, I don't know how long he's going to be. But I also think that Lamar Jackson can be a starting running back in this league. 
I think mm. he's that good. Interesting. Do you think of that or not? Do you agree? I haven't seen enough of him. Well, I watched him the other night closely. And I, I would put him in a Cordell Stewart type role, a slot receiver, throwing the ball, you know, like a Heinz Ward came into yeah. the league as a quarterback from Georgia. I don't know, f- you know, physically how uh, big he is and stuff like that, but I would, uh, I'm a guy, I would guy say this. fast and elusive. I know that. Well, he runs like a running back and he yeah. takes hits he does. like a running back. But okay, Kyler so there Murray, was reason one was. Quarterback can control how he gets hit. Yeah, the rules are set up to protect him, reason two. And reason three is that the defensive mentality has changed because anytime we see a quarterback run, he's going downfield, unless you're playing Lamar Jackson, they come close to him, but they start pulling up. Yep. They start pulling up because they're anticipating and they're so trained right now not to touch the quarterback. And there's you know the quarterback will go down 98% of the time. Mm-hmm. Now you'll get those sneaky ones that'll fake like they're going down and turn up field for eight more yards. I'll do that, Matt. Right. And, well, if you but if you do do that, if, if you do that in the game, then I'm calling timeout. I'm bringing my and I got accused of of teaching dirty play. But if I if you do that in a game one time to me, I'm a defense coordinator or head coach. I call timeout. Take the fifteen. Take him out. Take the fifteen. Mm-hmm. If he's going to do that, then we're taking a shot and we're taking the fifteen yards. Don't you lead with your helmet because I don't want you thrown out, but I want you to come in there and blast him. If he's gonna if he's gonna break the unwritten rule, and is he gonna try to make us look foolish and we're trying to honor the game and honor the rules that the quarterbacks have set, then if he breaks that rule, then we break the rule twice as hard. To illustrate point three, the change in mindset yeah. of the NFL, uh, it has not been that long since you played. Um Take people through your mindset as a linebacker in the National Football League when you saw an opportunity to hit a quarterback, and that was the mindset throughout the league. My first meeting in the NFL in 1988 in uh, minicamp with the Detroit Lions, Dick Mojaleski, famous player, longtime D-line coach, right? Just a, you know, gritty old dude, right? Just nasty and great coach, good man, just tough as they can come. He said this, uh, each coach got, each defensive coach in a defensive meeting got up and said something about what it takes to be a great defense. Dick Mojaleski gets up and says this. You take out the starting quarterback, your chances of winning are going to quadruple. Take him out, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and which might have been evident when uh, Joe Turkey Jones picked up uh, Terry Bradshaw. I'm not an advocate of that, but if the guy was running back when I played, you try to hit him. And, you know, I, I'll never forget, like, Harbaugh uh, playing for the Bears was running like he was going to go out of bounds. Then he turned up and tried to truck me. And ever that was my rookie year, second year in the league. Wait, rookie year in the league. And I'll never forget that. And I said, that will never happen to me again. And, you know, I've had my share of a few penalties, but it wasn't malicious or mean. It's just that I'm not going to be run over or embarrassed. Were you a... Highly penalized or never penalized yeah, player? Uh, once in a while. Not not, not a lot. I mean, the amount of penalties that I had in my career, you could probably count on one hand. I tried to jump a blitz, or I did have one where we were getting smoked by Philadelphia on Charlie Garner, running back. Um, or maybe it was Rodney Pete. I don't know who. I caught him, and uh, the whistle blew, but I was driving him. The whistle blew again, and then I picked him up, and... Slam, body slammed him, belly to belly souffle. 
or suplex or whatever the heck there it's you called. Go. Nice. Souffle. That's something That's what you, you get eat. for hanging around those pro wrestlers. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, here's your flashes of fun picture perfect uh, in focus comment of the day. It comes from Rob Mullins, your college football playoff committee chair, in response to a question from Reese Davis. What, what carried the day for Ohio State against LSU? We were a little, uh, and we've been tracking it, but you look at the strength of schedule and the fact that the Buckeyes' schedule overall looks a little stronger than LSU's despite the fact that LSU has played Auburn and Florida and, and Texas, who's not ranked right now. What did the committee think in comparing those two? Well, two outstanding teams. We obviously recognized LSU Burrow and the new offensive coordinator at LSU. But when you watch Ohio State, they have performed at a very consistent level. Really good on both sides of the ball. Explosive offensive playmakers. And Chase Young's probably as disruptive a defensive player as there is in the country. And when you look at their resume, they perform at a consistently high level every week. He's exactly right about the consistency. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not even like they haven't been in a game. 24 points is as close as anybody's come to them. And it wouldn't be that close if they weren't always taking their starters out to keep it close. Yeah. So, yeah, I get it. Uh, the thing about the uh, – they obviously won the eye test. And I applaud the committee for using the eye test now and hopefully all the way through this. My thought in the past has been that they go by the analytics and the metrics and the numbers and all that mm -hmm. stuff, and they never use the eye test until it's convenient for them to use the That's eye true. test. Let's keep this team. Uh, we really don't Maybe want this that team in. Their TV ratings are lousy. Their fan base doesn't travel. Yeah. So eye test, they don't fit. You Look, that's why you have a committee to apply logic and eye test and all that. Now, we'll say this, and i got to say you this. You could say that about the eye test last year, though, that they applied it to Ohio State when you could have made an argument for Ohio State to be in yeah. the playoff, correct? They were the Big Ten champions. But if they'd have applied the eye test in 2015, there's no way in the world Ohio State wasn't one of the top four teams. Just no way. Yeah. Um, so, But here's the thing on the eye test, that this is the difficulty of this whole endeavor. I think it's impossible to maintain consistency throughout, even on something like eye test. Because, okay, we can all watch Ohio State and we can all go, man, my eyes work. That's a great team. You cannot tell me that Ohio State's schedule is tougher than LSU's to this point because when you're a royalty program, you're going to go out there and you're going to have more talent, more resources, yeah. more winning. There's like only a couple games a year you're going to lose. Ohio State's getting the benefit of Indiana being 7-2. and two Yeah. And Cincinnati being whatever they are, 7-1. They, and one, they lost one. one, yeah. Almost lost to East Carolina last week. That's Would another team anybody in their right mind on a neutral field pick Indiana or Cincinnati over Texas? LSU's played Texas, and that's like their third, you know, third best win. There's just no chance anybody, if their house depended on it, would pick Cincinnati or Indiana. Well, what over conferences Texas. does uh, Texas reside in? Big Twelve. Okay, and what do we know about the Big Twelve? Defense is what? Defense is not great. Defense is optional, apparently. Defense is optional. <laughs> yes. Tackling is optional. <laughs> Defense is optional. Yeah. Finishing is optional. Right. I, for the life of me, I don't understand why they can't play defense in the Big Twelve. It's been that way for a long, long time. Yeah, don't know. Here's the thing for me is it, Ohio State is clearly the most talented team in the country. That doesn't mean they're not beatable. 
The only thing that the most talented team in the country deserves is uh, a shot to get to the playoffs. And, and that's what I want because I think they're vulnerable in the playoffs because there are some going to be really four really good teams. I used to be about expanding the playoffs. I'm not. Because of my new found uh, reality or I, just with the information that I have, there's only four or five teams that should compete for the national championship legitimately yeah. because everybody else is just either good or slightly above average or average. It was interesting. I heard of uh, the ESPN, Heather Dinich did a thing with coaches asking them if they want to expand the playoff. And there was one really interesting response, which I'll share with you after I remind you the flashes of fun picture. Perfect comment of the day. Flashes of fun. will take your senior pictures. Uh, a great gift idea. If guys, you're looking for something unique to uh, treat your spouse, uh, your kids, uh, Christmas is coming up and you want quick turnaround on a great family portrait with the pets or whatever for Christmas card pictures, family pictures, Spiels, you guys take some awesome pictures on your Christmas cards every year. We do. Family. So uh, flashes. Oh, fun on the web, book it online and save $50. Yeah. Dino Babers from Syracuse said he does not want an expanded playoff because as a, well, he doesn't have to worry about it. Well, but. he does, but I'm saying as a second, let's say second tier team, you know, it's one of those teams that would not be in your top five. Right. He said, if I got to win three games to win a playoff, if I have a great year where I get there and I can, you know, yeah. I might be able to win two, but the wear and tear on my team trying to win three or four, he's like, I got no shot. Yeah. Which once the committee finds that out, they may expand it to 16 yeah. to keep the ne'er-do-wells from winning. Because <laughs> I'll always believe the playoff system came about the year that Boise State and TCU almost finished 1-2 in the BCS. Yeah. I think they sat there and went, holy Whoa. cow, we can't have this. Well, we got to introduce something. Don't you agree with that? I think so. I think one of them would have been a great story. One, yes. Like when Butler played Duke and, oh, heaven forbid, Butler had won that game. Gordon Hayward's shot had gone in. But, but yeah, you don't want two. No. You don't want to. Or then you get the Houston Astros and the Washington Nationals in the World Series. And while it was a great World Series, the ratings were lousy. Yeah, you need but, royalty but, programs. But, yeah. You need Ohio State. You well, need Alabama. You need Notre Dame. You need those royalty programs. In fairness, though, college ba- I mean, college basketball is not – like the Final Four is, is a, a national event. College football, to me, is fan-driven more than college basketball. Agreed. Yeah, and the na- college basketball is built into the fabric of our country because of the betting and the brackets. And yeah, just, that's that's the yeah, difference. That's yeah. why you can have a butler and people are going to sit there and try to watch that. Yeah. They make thirty for thirties off teams they like yeah. Butler, like you they know, make movies called Hoosiers. They make teams they like make butler. thirty for thirties in college football just on great teams yep. and great programs and historical programs. And you got to me. College basketball, the 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 Final Four, as you said, the NCAA tournament. Everybody's going to watch it because it's the NCAA tournament. College football, not everybody would watch TCU and Boise State play for the national championship. Those guys in TV world are smart; they understand what's a way to be fair yet give us the best chance to get a matchup between two marquee programs. And the playoff is the perfect system, and it also gives them the out to put an Ohio State or an Alabama or Clemson, or an LSU into that playoff mm-hmm. if that said team has a hiccup along the way, as long as they take care of business, correct? Correct. Uh, Buckeyes in Maryland, noon Saturday in the horseshoe. You want to take your tailgate to the next level, then you want to get to Stover Farms Custom Meats, 4000 Presidential Parkway in Powell. Uh, our friend Trevor Stover, father of Cade Stover, Buckeye linebacker, Mr. Football, 
Trevor uh, processes uh, a side of aged Angus beef from his farm in uh, Lexington. Every week brings it down to his retail store. They're open Thursday at 10, Friday at 10, and Saturday, I believe, 9.30. So steaks, oh, they're awesome. Grill those at Ohio Stadium, and you will definitely win the tailgate. They have uh, pork and poultry that, like their Angus beef, has no hormones, it's non-GMO, it's really good for you, and it's really awesome having had it, I can vouch. My kids are so excited that Stover Farms is uh, sponsoring the podcast because they're hoping that Dad will get up there and bring them home some delicious steaks or hamburgers. They have sausage patties, which are great for a noon kickoff. Stover Farms custom meats, and tell them you listen to the Spielman Hooley podcast, you'll get 15% off. Uh, someone emailed the show last yeah. week, said they got 20 ribeyes at Stover Farms Custom Meats. There's a correct, correction. Uh, I, I appeared to misspeak, like I always do, last week with Trevor. Apparently, he does not guarantee a Division One scholarship if you eat Stover Farm Custom Meats. Does he, not guarantee it, but he will guarantee we're not ruling it out. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. not ruling it out. It I might put happen. The, I put the guarantee on it, but he will guarantee a, you're, you're satisfied and happy with whatever steak or whatever you eat so what if you tote those hay bales and work as hard as uh, Cade worked on the farm you got a good shot all right uh you can review the podcast by going to itunes and if you need to know how to review the podcast then we would invite you to go to please review my podcast.com search spielman and hooley or we'll post a link in the insider newsletter yes we have an insider newsletter spiel says he's going to the cardinals and tampa this week you find out where his schedule is uh, a little faith corner, uh, links that help us in our show prep. And here's our review of the day from uh, Buckeye fan in X-I-X-H-I-G-A-N, uh, Michigan with the M's oh, uh, of course. replaced. He says, I love me some Spielman. Nice. I'm a new listener to this podcast, but have become loyal in all caps. I would listen to Chris Spielman break down the Westminster Kettle Club dog show. Well, that's coming in March, actually. All right. I'll on be on it. Uh, he does such great prep work and is polite without being politically correct. The November 4th podcast showed what a calming influence Chris has on Bruce. Wow, was Bruce wound up discussing the train wreck that is the Cleveland Browns football team. I, I, Oy. I, am, a, I am a calming influence. Actually, uh, my wife Carrie said that, that you seem to kind of be like a Bruce's pacifier. You bring him in control. Okay, so let's just delve into that briefly. <laughs> On the Jermaine Whitehead thing, this is what really got me going. Was Jermaine, I missed this. Go, go ahead. Okay, well, you know what happened yes, to Jermaine yes, Whitehead, right? Yes, With the tweets and all yes. that. Yes, I'm going to shoot Dustin Fox or whatever he said. Yeah, yeah, smoke him, he said. Yeah. So the whole issue I had with it was it's a cultural, it's demonstrative of the culture there that after playing a terrible football game, if he's injured or whatever, I'm, I'm sure he was injured, but he didn't play a good game. That his first thought coming off the field was not, man, we're not going to make the playoffs, or man, I really let my team down. His first thought coming off the field was, I wonder what people are saying about me on Twitter. Well, that's the, the thing. And while in full uniform, he grabs his phone and he starts tweeting racist things and death threats at people who correctly said he did not play a good game. And... Then when asked to delete the tweets, he wouldn't do it. So now you don't have any discipline on your team if a team official tells you to delete them and you don't delete them. And so I just found it demonstrative of the whole entire culture up there and then combined with the shoe gate with Odell and Landry again putting themselves ahead of the team. And it's just, you know, Pete Brown said, hey, the schedule lightens up. We're gonna No, your issues are cultural issues. And until you get that fixed, 
you're just going to do one step forward, two back, two right. forward, one back. It's just not going to, you're not so, going to build any momentum. You know, I mean, that's why you can question the hiring of Freddie Kitchens because of the team that you put together. And it's, they're very talented. I got a couple thoughts on this. Can I hit him real quick? Yeah. All right. The, the team you put together, you, you hire a guy that hasn't been a head coach or has not led a room and was an offensive coordinator for what, seven games last year, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. And so that was a little bit of a risk. I'm not saying Freddie can't be a great head coach one day. He, he very well can be, but you have to be able to handle egos. That's part of being a head coach, and especially today's day and age where the egos are much larger than when I played. I mean, because of social media, because of the amount of money that each guy can make off of his brand, um, I understand Whitehead's frustration in this sense. He's playing with a broken hand, trying to do what he can do. He's got an upper body injury, mm-hmm. and he's doing whatever he can do to get on the field. I admire that, and if he were my teammate, I would respect that. Now, if he's out there, it's the coach's job and responsibility because he's because he's a proud dude, right? I, I don't care what he said was, you know, even uh, I read his uh, apology he knows he was wrong and it was dumb the things that he tweeted out. Just you can't do that. But it was the coach's responsibility to pull him out of that game because he can't perform at the level that he wanted to perform. And he's out there embarrassing himself. <coughs> Excuse me, because he's not playing to the level that he can play because he's playing with one hand and it's not getting it done. And mm-hmm. Dustin makes an observation. And I thought Whitehead's tackling was a joke. Yeah, is what Dustin okay, said. and fine, I'm I'm fine with that. But also, I think Dustin could have been a little bit more clear on saying it's his tackling is a joke. He's hurting the team. I get all that, but also he's trying to do it with a broken hand. And I'm sure Dustin was aware that he's playing with a broken hand. If not, he should have been aware of that because we're aware of everybody that's injured. I'm not sticking up for Whitehead. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you. After a game, after you lose, after you play poorly, you are not thinking clearly. Yeah. And the fact that these guys have access to immediately look at the criticism or congratulations that they get is a bad idea, a very bad idea. In fact, there should be, if I were a coach, and I don't know how you could ever enforce this, there should be a 24-hour rule of not going on Twitter. No I social mean, media thing. Yeah, because no. after he got after he got banned by Twitter for his profanity and his death threats, he went to Instagram yeah. and did it. So yeah, I, I was gonna say, so, could you put phones in a in a do the Derek Jeter with his dates, like phone yeah. in a phone in a basket? You can't so, tweet. <laughs> well, so the the and and the thing is the thing that, you know, once you say that, okay, you have a team official, so I'm assuming it was Dorsey or Kitchens or somebody, right? Come up and say, It was probably it. Peter John, their PR or, or whoever, but all Maybe of Maybe Rob McBurney. All those guys, tell them, hey, you get that down. And you ignore it and go to another social platform. He said no. He didn't and, just ignore it. He said no. Yeah. I won't take him down. Okay. And again, so he's making emotional decisions instead of logical decisions. And unfortunately for him, that emotional decision... Uh, had severe consequences, and that consequence was he lost his job yep. because of it. And, by the way, because of the nature of the tweets, if I'm a team looking for safety help right now, uh, no thanks. Yep. I don't need a drama. 
I don't need the drama. Because there are a lot of Jermaine Whiteheads. He right. got released by the Packers, so you, that tells you a little bit about his ability, that he's on a fringe guy. Yeah. He can do it or he can't do it. Right. And you can find another alternative. Yeah, you don't need it. that. And hopefully, uh, for Jermaine, I understand, you know, you're out there doing your best and you're playing with a broken hand and you're trying your best and it's not working out. I think the coaches let him down by keeping him out there and letting him play. But I think he let himself down by reacting to criticism. And in our business, in my business, uh, you cannot respond to criticism, especially if your bosses tell you, you know, I used to do a fun thing. I thought it was a fun thing called airport Twitter. After the game, yeah. I would I would t- I retweet uh, every pe- person that tweeted me and say, you know, I sucked. I'm rooting for the Lions. You're a homer. How can you be on air? And I'd have fun with it just because I don't care right, right. now. I mean, I, I really don't care uh, because I don't have a kabillion dollars on the line. But then I would retweet something that was good. Then I'd say, hey, talk to this guy. You talk. Just I would have fun with it. Then I got a call from Fox, and the guy told me, stop getting on Twitter. Can't do that right after a game. But I, but I wasn't. It wasn't like uh, you, you weren't taking people on. No, threatening I know. I was. Or, You're I, wrong. I, I'm right. I was that just, wasn't your. I case. was just having like I was just trying to be a smart Alec, yeah. and it, you know, I thought I was cool and funny, and apparently Fox didn't think I was cool and funny, and they said no more, and I said fine, no more. I did think think it was funny, but uh, it, you know, we it, hope with Jermaine Whitehead that uh, hey, look, we all have opportunities in life. We make a big mistake. Well, I hope he gets another chance. I hope he gets another chance, and but I hope he learns from his mistake. And this, then you know, you comes know. around, and we all hey, man, I've made a ton of mistakes, and I'm really well, thankful. Well, the thing for is, chances. Bruce, I mean, you've been in locker rooms, so you understand in the NFL that there's a 10 minute cool down period before reporters come in. I mean, I said that Monday. I said he didn't avail himself of the 10 minute cooling off yeah. period. That's what they call it. It, it should why be. It's called it, that. it should be. It should be. Quite frankly, longer. It should be a 20 minute cooling off period. To be honest with you, and you know, you go in there as a reporter. You know, if you're covering a loss, that it's a different feeling in that locker room, right? When you're covered as opposed to covering a win. I always used to be amazed in baseball where they play 162. Right. How every loss was like a death in the family. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you got another chance tomorrow. So I, th- I was, and in football, you only have 16. Yeah. So it's amped up. So I was thinking about that, right? So you don't reach the NFL. I can't speak for baseball. I have no idea. Uh, I can speak for football and I can be in a locker room. And I can speak from personal experience. You don't get to the NFL without being extremely prideful and competitive. And when you get your rear end kicked, you know, and then you have a microphone in your face, and essentially you're being asked, hey, why did that guy kick your rear end all over up and down the field? And as a competitor, you right away want to strike back. I mean, that's just how sure. it is. Of course. And you can't do that. And it, I got a couple great stories in our face segment that I want to share about to you. And the other thing is, all right, I'm hurrying up. No, I thought fine. we were on a podcast. We, we got to hit a, a break. I got a tea time, dude. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. That's fine. <laughs> oh, don't let don't let my job here's, get away your goal. Here's a little secret. If I give you like this, it just you don't have to share with the people that I'm giving you the raps on. Oh, that's just between I thought it was you a and podcast. me. <laughs> I guess my whole point is is this that <laughs> you know just stay off your Twitter, and I think. His demise in this situation, demise in this situation only, is a lesson learned for everybody around the league and every coach. I guarantee you in the locker rooms that's being talked about, 
And if I were a captain, I would go to the coach and ask him to institute a no foam policy until you leave the locker room and see if that can, I don't know if that can get done. But nothing that's good what can I happen. Do. Like nothing. An, There's Antoni- nothing. Antonio Brown Facebook living the Tom Lewis post game. Nothing good happens nothing. from that. Uh, all right. We always try to end on an uplifting note with our uh, faith elements brought to you by West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating. 614-879-9606. West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating services all of Central Ohio with a fleet of trucks and really cool uh, guys that are just good guys, honest guys, guys with integrity and character. They'll show up on time, very courteous. If they cannot get there when they say they were going to get there, they will call you and give you a heads up so you're not wasting your entire day. You'll save hundreds on a Lennox high-efficiency furnace. They can do any repair, plumbing, heating, cooling. I would highly recommend you get a fall furnace check quickly because we're starting to get frost. And they always get slammed that first weekend when you need to fire up the furnace and you didn't clean the filter, it doesn't work. So do it now. Get ahead of the game. Uh, ask for the Spielman and Hooley discount on any other service. West Jefferson Plumbing and Heating, westjeffplumbingandheating.com. All right. Um, can I share with you uh, an experience of faith that I put into practice that I wouldn't have put into practice 10 years ago? Please. Three times this happened to me in one week. Okay, first one was last Wednesday when I was driving home from the hinterlands of the Hooli Manor mm-hmm. in the Badlands of Plain City. <laughs> the Badlands. <laughs> That's funny. I'm coming up and turning on Hayden Run Road off of uh, whatever road that I come down here to turn left on Rings. Rings, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm turning left on Hayden Run where that shopping center is. Mm-hmm. You know how that's that giant eagle? Yeah, where that yeah. giant eagle thing is and Cosgrave. You're turning left from Cosgrave. Yeah, so there's that that there's that left hand turn that you have to get way over in the left hand turn lane to turn left. Well, I'm in that lane and all of a sudden this truck with three workers shoots across two lanes. Oof. I have to s- slam on the brakes and this guy c- cuts in front of me and he he stops right before he cuts in front of me and he looks at me. And he's giving me the double finger. No. Yeah. And I thought to myself, right away, what do we have? We have, like, rage because we, mm-hmm. were, first of all, we might be scared a little bit because we almost got in a car wreck. Second yeah. of all, this guy was wrong and he's blaming me. So I cut, I took a deep breath. And I've been praying for this, for this change to occur to me for a lot of years. And all I did was smile and wave to him and kind of, Wave mm-hmm. to him and let him go. And he's MFing me the whole time. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Then, that very same day, I go to CVS. <clears throat> I go to grab a Diet Coke. There's this female there. She's looking. She's standing away from the, the freezer, and she's surveying the freezer. Okay. Trying to make a decision on what she wants. Or want. And I, I, waited, I waited for about, I would say, in fairness, about one, two, three, four, five, eight seconds. Mm-hmm. She didn't make a move toward the freezer. So I go in front of her, open the freezer, grab a Diet Coke, and as I'm grabbing the Diet Coke, I hear, I can't believe that you just did that. I can't believe that you just cut in front of me. Don't let me be in your way. And I said, I looked around to see if she was actually even talking to me. Then I'm the only one there, and I turned around, caught my breath, and I just had this experience. And before I said anything I would regret, I said, I'm sorry. I apologize. That was rude of me. Can I grab you something while I'm in here? And she said, no, I haven't made my mind up yet. I said, okay. And I let it go. The final thing that happened was I was in uh, 
the Delta Club in San Francisco Airport, SFO as I like to call it. Humble brag. <laughs> and I'm sitting down, and this guy is playing his music on his phone without headphones. Oh, come on. And so the Delta dude comes over and said, hey, this guy over here is trying to do work. Not me. Yeah. I'm just watching all this unfold. Can you tell tell that guy to turn his music down or put his headphones on? And this guy says, I can't believe that guy wouldn't come up over there and, and tell me himself. And all of a sudden, the guy that was doing the work shoots across the room. And they're confronting, and they're right in front of me. And I'm saying to myself, well, why is this going on? So I get up, and I get in between them, and I say to look, nobody wants to do this. This is something that is totally avoidable. We we have self-induced stress here. Mm. What are you guys doing? And the guy starts looking at me like wanting to bow up on me, and I say, I understand your frustration, sir. Can you just, you know, I'll... Everybody just go their separate ways, and let's just forget about this. Nobody wants to be wake up and say, I can't believe I got in a fight in the Delta Club at yeah. San Francisco Airport. Yeah. And so my only thought was I de-escalated. But each one of those incidents, after I was done, I had a time to reflect. And I sat there, and I thanked God because I asked him for this prayer. And I've said this prayer, be kind to everyone you meet because you do not know the battle that they may be fighting. So whatever that situation may be, the, the, the guys in the, the truck, they might have been late for work and they might have been stressed about that. The lady at the CVS um, might have just come back from a doctor's appointment where she's got bad news. Mm -hmm. And the, gentleman, the two gentlemen, I don't even know where they were from, the two gentlemen in the Delta Club, they might have had a bad day or it's a red eye. They might have something wrong at home or there might be a deadline at work or Maybe the guy had one too many drinks. So I sat there and I thank God, although I had to swallow my male ego, right? Because when male, when men are, are challenged, we want to rise up right away. I had to swallow my ego and swallow my uh, instincts and try to act in a godly manner, even though I felt I was wrong. And when I was done, I thank God for allowing me to do that even though it was against every human instinct that I had. Man, I applaud you, Chris. That's uh, that's extremely powerful and impressive, and you're extending grace to people. And I yeah. just, um, I'm, but I'm very, very, I, uh, I'm just, you know, I, I want to affirm you in that. That's it really wasn't, amazing. It wasn't me. It, it's, no. it's a result of, again, and we go back to this, and I tell my kids is that, you know, supposedly, to people that don't believe, we have all this power, as Christians, even Christians believe, yeah, I have this power because I have the Holy Spirit. That's true. But you have to access the Holy Spirit through prayer and through, and, and this is, a, it, the, the coolest thing about it was for me, even though I was angry and I wanted to strike back and I was like, you know, very frustrated because, but when I was done, I felt this sense of peace that the Holy Spirit made a decision for me and I was able to bury the selfish beast or my ego inside and put the Holy Spirit first to react as opposed to how I want to react. And it's not hard. And I don't do that all the time. But for whatever reason, God put three 
uh, three instances in my life for that to happen. And it was really cool. So the, the lesson is you have so much power to access the Holy Spirit. Just do it. You know, it's really interesting to me sometimes. You and I don't rehearse the faith stuff, just to take you guys behind the scenes on this. You know, Chris will come in, and um, all we do on the rehearsal side on that end of the podcast is to say, do you have anything from a faith perspective? And sometimes Chris says, yeah, and sometimes I say, yeah, and sometimes we have an email. In fact, we have one Friday that we'll talk about. But very often, whatever you have is something that meshes with something in my life. I have a friend now who is... um, dealing with the death of one of his parents Mm -hmm. and he's dealing with some bitterness from a a brother-in-law and it's really hard for him. And so he's asked me to pray for him. And what I said to him was, you know, just remember that you're not the source, the cause of your brother-in-law's bitterness. You're the recipient of it. And in those three instances that you outline, we sometimes think when somebody, you know, fires on us, we're the source of their bitterness. Very often, that's not the case. We're just the recipient of it. We're just the person who happens to be there and an outlet for them when it happens. And so uh, what my friend has asked me to do is pray for him, and uh, the visual that I've given him is you know, put on that armor of God yeah. in Ephesians uh, 6 and protect yourself, surround yourself with prayer, and, um, and hopefully in those moments, you know, you'll be able to channel that Holy here, Spirit power. Here, here's the one thing. I, can I advise him something? Sure. And this is when Noah and all his buddies, the night of his before his wedding, where they asked me to share some fatherly wisdom one night. And I learned this through what I went through with Steph and then blending a family. And I said, here's the one thing that we can control. And I'm guilty of this, and I've watched you, and you're guilty of this too, is that we, for some reason, are addicted to putting self-induced stress on ourselves where things that don't have to be stressful, we make situations stressful when they don't have to be. Mm-hmm. And I get, you know, the bitterness and all that, but there's, there comes a time where, you know, you, you take, and I told, I always told my kids this, look, and I told my brother this with football and I told myself this with football Either you control it with the help of God or it, whatever that it may be, the bitterness, the anger, the frustration will consume you and it will control you. You will become what your thoughts are if you don't control that. And you can't control it as a human being. Access the Holy Spirit to control that bitterness, that anger, that rage. I mean, I, I, and I'm not sitting there saying this, that I'm petting myself on the back because I didn't do anything. But because of prayer over a 10-year period, and it was put in front of me to to practice what I preach, <laughs> and the only thing that I'm happy about was that there, God truly does hear me, even though sometimes it's not on my time when I want an answer. Right. But what I was grateful for was the opportunity, not once, not twice, but three times in one week, two times in one day to say, you really want to live how I want you to live? Here are situations. How are you going to respond? So I guess the thing that I'm proud, I don't want to say proud, that I'm You're encouraged I'm, I'm by. Encouraged, thank yeah. you. That's a great word. Encouraged yeah. by was that I responded in a godly manner, which 
10 years ago would have been a very ungodly manner. And I would have done something that I would have said something or done something that I would have regretted so bad. So thank you, God, for that. Well, I think the cool thing about that is that, you know, the next time hopefully you have that recollection and that strengthening, you know, you've put something in your faith bank there, that relationship you have with God. And it's not uh, easy. It's not, not easy. Uh. But, you know, the more, <laughs> like anything, you know, the more you succeed, um, hopefully the next time the easier it is to succeed. It's a, hey, it's a daily battle, man. So uh, that'll do it for the Wednesday edition of the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Back Friday with a very interesting email and Maryland coming into town. Seven touchdowns last year against the Buckeyes. Uh, they have allowed six touchdowns in eight games this year. Same guys. Uh, we're trying to figure out how that transformation has taken place. Thanks for listening. Everybody have a great day.